Mark 13, starting with verse 1. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Did you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is still to come. For nation will rise against a nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon, oh, I'm sorry, I'm jumping down to verse 28. (laughs) Apologize for that, verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But what about that day or hour? No one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is another scripture passage that was supposed to be what we were reading and preaching on today. Um, if we were gathering together uh, in downtown Clayton um, in one place. And as I read it, part of me wanted to avoid this scripture passage <laughs> um, because times are heavy enough. And uh, But I think that... Um, we can handle a heavy scripture passage, um, as we talked about last week. The word is alive and it's fresh and it keeps speaking new to each generation. And um, so we're going to let this text speak to us this morning. Um, I also think it's important to talk about this because I think um, some of you may have seen in your social media or with relatives, um, people who are talking about, uh, is this the sign of the end of times? Um, we talk, uh, there, there are pockets of people that, that always talk about that. And um, we're going to, we're going to, uh, investigate that just a little bit more. Um, you know, is this, is what we're experiencing now some kind of punishment from God or, or a sign of something to come? And I, let's just talk about that. Um, I have had my share of brushes of folks, um, that have thought the world was ending just now. Um, I remember in middle school, 
I don't remember what grade it was, but we, and I don't even remember how, like, the word spread that the world was supposed to end this particular day. I mean, like, I'm old enough that we didn't have email, we didn't have social media, we had none of that. But somehow, like, the word spread that the world was going to end. And um, I remember walking into one of the girls' bathrooms, and there was, like, this group of girls huddled together crying hysterical because the world was going to end, and they didn't want it to end then. Clearly, the world did not end when I was in middle school. Um, I also uh, got sucked into uh, the Left Behind series. Um, I I was in a different place when I was younger. Um, And uh, I think you can still watch that movie on Netflix, maybe. I I really wouldn't recommend it. But um, I read the first three or four captivatingly because I grew up with this understanding that the end of times, um, and I'm using air quotes, um, would come in a way um, that um, a a very specific kind of way. I felt like these books were supposed to help enlighten what that was going to look like and bring me some comfort that way. Um, I quickly uh, realized after I think about book three or four or five or six that they were just trying to make money and uh, there was nothing helpful in those books for me and, uh, and put those down. Uh, I also um, uh, well, so um, I also my my understanding of what end times looks like changed over time. Um, and while we don't have enough time this morning uh, to walk through all of that, um, I do think that there is still something that we can learn. We're going to focus on what would be most helpful this morning. Um, Turns out it's nothing new that people think that the end times are upon us. Um, As Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, Harold Camping, the man in charge of things at Family Radio, had a bad day on May 21st, 2011. Mr. Camping had spent millions of other people's money very happily um, announcing that day as the world's expiration date. But May 21st passed without incident. It's not surprising that Mr. Camping was wrong. He'd been wrong before. In 1994, when he predicted the end of the world three times. In 1995, when he predicted it once. uh, Once he decided, once May 21st came, he decided to backtrack and said that May 21st was just a prelude to the real end. October 21st, 2011 would be the real date. Clearly. That was not the real date. Harold Camping is not the only one who's failed in his predictions. Um, He did it, though, with a great number of billboards and RVs that were all donned with this information. Bishop Clement of Rome predicted it would happen around the year 90. Hilary of Poitiers predicted the end of the year in 365. His student, the more famous Martin of Tours that I'm sure you've all heard of, revised that estimate to sometime before the year 400. The German emperor Otis III thought an eclipse in the year 968 was a harbinger to the close of the age. Um, Then during the lesser known Y1K crisis, two accounts of the end created such panic in Christian nations that they threw out all of Jesus' teachings about nonviolence and tried to beat the love of Christ into pagans so that they might be saved. 
Pope Innocent III um, expected it all to end in 1284. Shaker religion uh, suggested 1792. Charles Wesley, a great hymn writer, uh, preferred 1794. His brother John preferred the mid-19th century. It was 1914 for Jehovah's Witnesses, also 1915, 1918, 1920, to see historically this keeps happening over and over again that in the middle of a crisis that we begin to panic um, and wonder what it could mean and look for purpose and meaning at the start of that scripture today Jesus and his disciples are walking out of the temple in Jerusalem and remember Jesus is now in Jerusalem we're two weeks away from us celebrating Easter Jesus is now in Jerusalem in our stories in Mark and is uh, knowing that this is where he will eventually die. And so they've gone to the temple. They're walking out of the temple. And one of the disciples looks around and just marvels at the surroundings, at this amazing building that they've just come in to pray in and to offer sacrifices. Jesus takes this opportunity uh, to warn his disciples that things aren't as they appear. That this big, solid, beautiful building that looks like it will be around forever, this human creation that looks like it's going to stand the test of time, will not be here forever. There is destruction that's coming. Um, there will be false prophets, wars and rumors of wars, political upheavals, earthquakes and famines. But these things will not, in fact, mean the reign of God has arrived. Jesus warns the disciples that they should guard against being distracted by just how things seem. I think we all get caught up in the world of, uh, in our world, in our culture of what seems important, what seems like it will last forever. In other words, in other words, I keep pausing because I get a little symbol that says your internet connection is unstable and my uh, what I've learned is that if I keep talking, um, I'm a little expressive, and that means my face will be frozen in some crazy way on your screens. So I try to sit really still. So, so if you see me sitting really still, it's because it's telling me my internet connection is unstable. So most scholars believe that Mark was written uh, soon after the destruction of the temple has actually happened in the year 70. Um, the, the first scene of chapter 13 um, is meant to guide troubled readers in making sense of what they have just seen happen. The earliest readers would have known that the temple was going to be destroyed because they just saw it. And Mark seeks to provide some comfort to say, look, Jesus knew this was coming. This is not a sign that, that God has left you, that this wasn't true. Um, Jesus told us this was going to happen. Mark is reorienting this early Christian community around Jesus and not around the temple. Remember that we've talked about the early Christians met in the temple with the Jewish, uh, with, with, in Jewish worship because they didn't have anywhere else to go. And so when it was destroyed, this was an opportunity for, um, Christians to continue to find new ways to worship, a new place to orient 
it themselves. Um, Jewish worship was very much oriented on the temple itself. And so Mark is speaking into the middle of that kind of uncertainty. The second passage or the second part of it um, where Jesus is kind of hanging with his close disciples and they say, well, tell us about when this will happen. They're on the Mount of Olives. So they've got they're further away from the temple and they've got a different kind of perspective on the scene of this huge temple uh, with all of its grandeur and glory. And they can they can see a bigger perspective. And in fact, the Mount of Olives was a, would have been a place that was known um, to be where lots of uh, Jews were uh, buried over time, especially during seasons of persecution. So from this literal cemetery, they are able to see the glory of the temple and the certainty of death both together. And again, it's a reminder of what really matters When we get further away from these things that we have built up in our lives, we get a different perspective on them. Uh, That temple that seemed so amazing and beautiful and solid and uh, magnificent when you're right up close within arm's length of it now seems far away and distant and only only a part of the larger city that surrounds them. And. What Jesus then begins talking about uh, when he talks about the fig tree and he talks about um, uh, the end and how we're not supposed to focus on whether this is the world is about to end or not, but to focus on the work that we are called to do here. uh, What he's saying is um, that that the words of Jesus aren't just just important for them then. But Jesus also says, you're not going to pinpoint me on a time for this. Uh, God's timing, God's understanding of time is different than ours. And that is important for us to remember that we see things in this moment and everything seems so immediate. But Jesus is saying, look, you've got a human perspective on things. God has a, a whole different understanding of time, of the world, of what is really important. And in that, we can also find Comfort, And we can be reminded about what really is important. God's present in this moment, but God is also timeless. Um, the imagery of the birth pangs, uh, which is birth pain, the pain that comes when something new is being birthed, is a symbol that, that God, there is something at work here, even in the pain of the moment. And we are invited to be watchful, to be a part of it, to be diligent at work even in the moments of the pain that we feel and experience here on this earth. There are groups of Christians, I mentioned that at the start, that that are very obsessed with the end times and are more concerned with, uh, bringing about uh, the the end of the of the world as we understand it to be um, that that plays that plays into uh, our current politics. There are people that see um, uh, our current president uh, Trump as being the one who will usher in a new kingdom. Uh, if you remember all the stories about moving uh, uh, the capital uh, uh, in in the Middle East, um, that there was a lot of language around that, and their understanding was 
that allowed uh, us to usher in the end times. We focus on those symbols that we read in scripture and they take them very literally. And so rather than being about the work that God has called us to, they are worried about ushering those end times in. Um, the problem is that then we we feel like we don't have any responsibility here on earth to make it better. Um, people have always tried to find purpose in pain. And rather than actually doing something about the pain that we see in this world, the injustices, uh, then we can easily say it doesn't matter. We just all need to be right with God because God's going to fix everything. But again, as you see, this is a pattern that keeps happening over and over again. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying to not get distracted by, to focus on what God, the work that God has called us to right now. Um, Jesus desires us to be ever open to God's kingdom breaking into our own moment here, challenging our understandings of what will endure and what will not endure. Jesus desires us to expand our perception of how and when God's spirit is at work and bringing the good news to all the nations. And again, we talked about a year ago, if it's not good news for everybody, um, it's not really good news. Even in the face of sufferings and devastations, even from the perspective of that cemetery that they're sitting in. We human beings um, are hardwired to want to know the future. What will tomorrow bring? And thoughts of the future can unnerve us. The uncertainty of the future can leave us feeling nervous and out of control. Will I be able to afford to retire? Will I come down with the coronavirus or an incurable disease that, that causes me great suffering? Will my children grow up to be happy and healthy adults? Will our country be prey to terrorists? Will global warming cause irreversible damage to our world? Those experiencing good times right now may fear that they're going to lose those good times in the future. Those at the other end of the spectrum, those who are facing great difficulties, may worry that it's never going to get any better. A significant question to ponder uh, is, where is God in all of this? In 1 Kings 19, the prophet Elijah wondered if God was at work in the power of nature. We've talked about the scripture but the readers are told that the Lord wasn't in the wind, the earthquake, or the fire, but in the quiet whisper of the wind. Jesus' disciples tried to make sense of the headline news of their own day. Uh, there's another uh, place in the Gospels where a tower of, of Siloam fell and killed 18 people. And they were trying to find meaning for that. Who had sinned? Who had done something wrong? And Jesus taught that those who died were no worse offenders than everybody who was living and still walking around. So what should we say about tragedies in our own day? Oftentimes we try to give purpose uh, to, to death or to a terrible experience by, by saying it's just supposed to glorify God by, by helping others. Uh, God needed another angel. God never gives us more than we can handle. And all of those have terrible theology uh, with them. In Christian terms, the, the larger question is how we think about the providence of God when the world is turned upside down.
Mark's gospel doesn't try to say that God has a purpose for these things, but it asserts that God is not far removed when they happen. The fig tree is blooming and God is just at the gate. God, the Holy Spirit, is present with us always, even or perhaps most importantly, in times of suffering. The Holy Spirit is with us offering consolation and courage, hope and wholeness. Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples for what they would experience. And I imagine this week, if we were hanging out with Jesus, uh, walking out of a big cathedral somewhere. My favorite cathedral, I love cathedrals. Um, my favorite cathedral is in Venice because uh, the entranceways are all painted uh, with gold, um, gold mosaics and inside are gold mosaics. And when the sun shines on it, I mean, it's just literally glowing. So if we were all walking in there today, hanging out with Jesus in this, this beautiful cathedral, just being amazed at its glories, What would Jesus say to us? If we were walking out of that facade or maybe out of our White House or out of a bank after looking at our 401k numbers or or marveling at our own health and our own sense of rightness. I think Jesus would say to us this morning, awful things will happen. The world will be turned upside down over and over again. Don't worry. God is not far away. Keep vigilant. Care for the most vulnerable among you as I have done. Don't put your trust in these big buildings and the the riches you've accumulated, sometimes at the demise of others. Know that political leaders on either side of the aisle will disappoint you. There will be people that care more about their own power than caring for anyone else, and they will cause wars. You will lose people you love, sometimes in ways that do not make sense. The person who is most qualified will not always get the job, and sometimes you will work really hard and still lose the job. Don't be discouraged, but pay attention at the ways I am perfectly at work in your imperfect world. And be a part of that work of redemption Even in your here and now with me. And know that I am never far away. May that be where we find our hope and our purpose today. Will you pray with me? God, it is easy to be distracted. When terrible things happen and we try to find meaning, it is easy to be distracted by All the things that we try to grasp a hold on to try to explain what's happening in our world. And you have told us that we will not be able to explain everything. But that you are with us nonetheless. And we have work to do. God, it is also easy to be distracted by putting our trust in things that are only temporary. I think right now we are all having the space to be reminded and to pay attention to the things that we've built up in our world, the idols on which we worship, that are temporary, that are part of this world and not of your world. 
God, as we reshift our lives during this time, help us to focus on the work that you've called us to do, the ways that you are at work in our imperfect world, knowing that you are never far away, but are right here with us. God, don't let us be distracted. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to, let's see. Oh, I did not mean to do that. I meant to stop the recording, not to make my face go away. Uh, what I want to do, I've got just a few announcements, and then we're going to kind of close in a time.